Welcome to episode five of Lil Muck, a tiny slice of the Muck podcast where we talk to people in the media and in politics about their favorite stories or experiences. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary, tell us about today's guest. Yay! Okay, our guest today is Vice Mayor of Hallandale Beach, Sabrina Javiana. Sabrina was elected to the Hallandale Beach Commission in November of 2018. She was the youngest person to ever be elected to a seat in Florida, which is amazing beyond amazing insane insane (laughs) so as a progressive activist in hallandale and broward county sabrina works to be an advocate for social justice especially in terms of economic social justice and gender-based issues so welcome to lil muck sabrina thank you so much i'm a you know a subscriber and a listener and i really enjoy you know all the words that you guys do i learned so many more things about broward that i never knew Oh, that's so awesome. Thank you. So let's go back to 2018. I think that's when I first met you and had a a conversation with you. You were running for office. Um, You're a full-time college student at the time. Uh, You were active, of course, in local politics and clubs and on different levels. So what made you decide to run for commission in Hallandale Beach? Oh, my gosh. I I actually had considered running for a different seat. Um, Well, not a different seat. Same seat in Hallandale. But there was an opening on the commission um, and there was a, a March special election a few months earlier. And I was actually considering running for that seat. Um, you know, the candidates weren't people that I really knew or people who had a history of winning. And, you know, there was this like dangerous Keith London majority. And um, I was really super, super close to filing. But I missed the deadline of noon on a mm. Monday, I think, um, by just like a few minutes. And so I didn't get to be a candidate for that election, but I think it worked out. Um, you know, I was able to get more time to prepare, you know, running in a special election. I would have had literally like a month and a half to campaign um, against like five or six other candidates. And it worked out a lot better. You know, of course, so many things happened in Hollandale at that time. You know, there was like a mayor who got arrested. Then the vice mayor became the mayor. And you know, he was like Ponytail Chief London, who was making all these homophobic and racist mm. and sexist remarks. And I'm like, we went viral for numerous times for his comments. Like, you know, he called one of our city construction workers, like, uh, you know, the F word, like the homophobic slur. Oh he, you know, he would call all of our, our Northwest residents, you know, historically black area, you know, inmates running an asylum. Uh, you know, he oh. made like really weird comments about anal bleaching on the diet. Like it was just, <laughs> It was chaos. It sounds like it. (laughs) And, you know, I was just really tired of seeing our city on the news um, and seeing him disrupt really important work that was supposed to be happening in the city with our community redevelopment agency. And, you know, police shootings getting swept under the rug. Um, I would go to city commission meetings. I'd been going for about a year and a half, um, you know, different times for, you know, whatever different subjects were coming up. And um, most of the time he was the mayor that I would go. And he would just, you know, totally dismiss me, you know, like they would, if they responded to my remarks at all or acknowledged them, they would be very condescending and be like, you know, we're doing, we're perfect. Everything's fine. You know, you're totally wrong and you're uh, unrealistic. And it was just most of the time after that, I would just, I would walk out of the chambers immediately after giving my comments because I was like, and they were like, hey, don't you want to hear what we have to say to you? And I'm like, not really, because. (laughs) <laughs> it's not going to be nice. <laughs> yeah. And so so I was just, you know, tired of not being listened to. And there was a, an incumbent who was never even elected. Uh, he was appointed to a seat after, you know, somebody had resigned. 
more drama um, in Hollandale as usual. And so he was going to be elected automatically. And, um, you know, he was relatively new to the city. And I knew he just saw the seat as a stepping stone to something higher, like running for state rep. And I just, you know, thought I'm going to make it a little bit harder. And despite being a, you know, um, relatively like poor working class, like college student, I'm just going to try and, you know, see what happens. And, and it worked out. I just spent the whole summer knocking on doors the whole fall, you know, um, interacting with folks at the polls and different community events. And, and it worked. I, I was really able to run on the issues. It's just such an amazing story. It is. And yeah. also like um, what you went through as a candidate running, like they were giving you a, a ton of crap about it too. Like being a young person was an issue. You know, it's, I'm sure mm-hmm. being a woman was, was an issue, you know, all of these yep. things that you had to go through, uh, to get to that seat, you know, it's, and it's, there's still things coming up all the time, you know, it's never been easy, but to your, your credit, I mean, you go after issues and you go after things that um, need to be said and need to be talked about. And if you weren't there, these things wouldn't have happened. These changes wouldn't happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. And I'm just curious, um, being on the younger end as a vice mayor, did you, when you were elected, did you face any problems on the dais with your fellow elected officials treating you differently because of your age in any way? Did it take a while for them to recognize your voice or, you know, treat you in the same level of of respect as they treated other people on the dais? I would say actually in the beginning, they were super accepting and uh, like literally within like the first couple months, even up to until the first year, you know, they were very open. Like within our first commission meeting, actually uh, one of them nominated me to be the vice mayor. And I was like, oh my God, like, do I vote for myself? Do I vote for the other person? What do I do? Like freaking out. Um, because, you know, it was like the other person nominated was more a more senior member of the commission. And I thought, you know what, I think I have the most ideas and I think I can better represent the city. And so we I actually became the vice mayor with a 4-1 vote. Wow. Um, oh my God, One of the weirdest moments actually was, um, I think like a week after I got elected, the city manager and city attorney, you know, called me and they're like, um, let's have a meeting. Let's meet like for the first time and, you know, figure out the transition. And so, you know, I met with these, uh, they were actually, you know, two really awesome women, Latinas. And um, it was just kind of weird because, you know, they're telling me like, I'm their boss. And I was like, wait, this is really <laughs> weird. Like I've never been somebody's boss. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're very like established women in their careers. Like so awesome. And I was like, wait, this is, like I knew what I was getting into, but I was like, this is a weird dynamic. And I think that was yeah. something too, like for our city staff. Um, and now we have a new city manager that sometimes, you know, like we'll have meetings and they'll, you know, explain things to me. And I'm like, I don't need like the long, like explanation on, you know, uh, like pensions or, you know, the police officers bill of rights. Like I know those things. I've read it. You don't, mm. you don't need to preface it with that. You know, you can get to the point. <laughs> and so, you know, so, <laughs> so sometimes, you know, I mean, there's, it's, it's just like a weird experience for everybody and mm. me too. And so we, we've really been getting into it. Um, I mean, the last, I guess maybe like since like last December, things have been more different on the commission. And, um, you know, there's definitely been more condescending remarks um, lately. So that's been, you know, something to deal with. And, I, you know, sometimes I struggle with it. Sometimes like I doubt, you know, I don't know if this is, I don't know, like, I've only been here for two years. I don't know if I can keep doing this because this, 
this is a, you know, this is a really difficult job. Um, I, I don't want to like diminish anybody else's work, but it takes hours and hours. Uh, I would say I put like 40 to 60 hours a week into it. Jeez. It's really not a part-time job. Yeah. You know, I'm always reading and watching and I, like, sometimes I'll email this week. I'm like, can you email me a recording from a city commission meeting from 2000? <laughs> and I watch it and I try to understand like why they pass some of the ordinances and laws that we have today and you know then eventually try to repeal them but um it's, it's a really difficult job and you know sometimes I get do get the condescending you know remarks from my colleagues but sometimes I think they some of them look to me as you know like the future um yes. and you know new ideas and a diverse background um so yeah sometimes sometimes it's good sometimes not so much yeah mm-hmm. but you I mean Hillary and I talked about it recently that you represent really like what we need everywhere. The the young, progressive, just like you said, having all of these ideas, like that's what we need to energize our cities and our, and our states. Yeah. But also like not to the detractors and the people who say things, it does make the job harder. And I mean, I don't know about you, Sabrina, but when people are like, I don't like your way you're doing something or they start complaining, I'm like, oh my God, you know, like you just (laughs) want to do the work and like do something good. And so it's hard to, it is, I mean, even though you continue to do it, it is hard to, to, you know, have to hear things like that. It's we are human and and it does, I would imagine it, it affects your, who you, you know, how you're viewing your work, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, um, there's definitely like a cookie cutter, um, you know, example of what a lot of elected officials today think that they should be or how they should conduct themselves. Mm -hmm. And I don't really, you know, follow that or fit into that. Um, And I don't want to, you know, I think it just is the same old, same old that, you know, prevents us from really getting anywhere in progress. Like, yeah, it worked for today and this year, but it's not going to work for five, 10 years from now. Yeah, um, yeah. And so sometimes one of them, one of a city councilman that I, I, who was my friend and I really respect him and, you know, he probably thought he was doing the right thing, but he emailed me when this whole, you know, SWAT thing was happening recently. And he's like, I think you're going about this the wrong way. You should say, I think we need to have a SWAT team and I really do respect them, but you know, some changes can be made. And I didn't end up responding because I was just like dealing with so much, you know, insanity at that time. But I was like, why are you mansplaining this to me? Like, I don't <laughs> think we need a SWAT team. We, this is not like you're, the way you're emailing me is not the approach I'm, I'm trying to take. Yeah. And thanks. Thanks. But no, thanks. I didn't ask for your advice. Like who's asking? So let's get into this, uh, the, the SWAT team, uh, mm-hmm. situation that happened. So, I mean, this, this went all the way up and it's, it is because of this, uh, the George, the George Floyd murder and, um, and the, what the change that or the conversation that thank God is still happening for the last month or so, uh, throughout the country. But you then brought up about um something an incident that happened in hallandale with the swat team Mm -hmm. uh barging into this man's house and i and him being killed so can and then you ended up on cnn of all places discussing it because (laughs) the entire swat team ends up resigning from their positions because of uh, i believe the what they perceived as your criticism of that of that event can you talk about that Mm -hmm. sure um so yeah so i i've been talking about howard bow for a very long time um, I learned about his case in 2017 when I joined the Black Lives Matter Alliance Broward. And that's really kind of where I got my start in Broward activism and politics. And I started meeting, um, you know, some of the family members in this group that they had called the Families Against Police Brutality. I even went with one of the mothers to the Honda police station with two other activists to, 
you know, have a meeting and find out, you know, a status update on her son's case and why she didn't, she couldn't get his son's, her son's belongings. And, you know, that's, that's really where I started out in, in Broward's mm. activism. And, um, you know, so people like, you know, when they get surprised now when I'm being so critical of like, you know, the institution of policing, I'm like, I've been talking about this for years. So I don't know, like, if you guys just got here, but um, <laughs> this, this is nothing new for me. Um, so I don't know why you guys are so surprised. But um, Howard Bow was killed in 2014 by the SWAT team. They had thought for some reason, he had all these guns in his home. He was like, they thought he was a major drug trafficker. And he was a neighborhood guy that, you know, people knew and loved to be just a calm, um, you know, gentle guy, he loved his son, he loved his dog. Um, and so the SWAT team, uh, you know, barged upon his home. First, outside of his house, they killed his dog, Tank, who was 13 years old and chained up, you know, with, with a, to a, a link to a fence. Um, they barge in. Within seconds, you know, they let out a flashbang grenade. And oh immediately, yeah, he's, he's in, um, you know, he's unarmed. He's in his underwear. And uh, immediately within seconds, um, he's shot in the stomach with a shotgun. Um, and, you know, and not not only is that bad enough, you know, he's on the ground asking, why did y'all shoot me? You know, having no idea what's going on. His son, who was a teenager at the time, uh, was dragged out of his bedroom, you know, totally scared, no idea what's going on. And over his dad's body, they interrogated him at the police station, his son. Um, and his sis, uh, Howard's sister heard all of this happen in her house behind his house. And he died 11 days later in a coma in the hospital from his, Jesus. from his gunshot wound. And so you think something went wrong and they found a very small amount of cocaine. They didn't find a massive drug operation mm. or anything. And this was one of 38 ra- SWAT raids in the same area of the city, the west side of the city, where, you know, they did these, these military drug raids to find what they thought were going to find massive drug operations, the majority of them, they found zero drugs. Um, and some of them, they found very little, like in this instance. Um, so, you know, he, we, the community, the people who knew him, like everyone was dismayed. Um, people marched on city hall, never got any answers. The city hired a firm, Taser International, run by some former um, police chief that looked at use of force policies and, you know, reviewed things, but it was a really copy and paste report and nothing new really changed. They said they changed their policy in firing into moving vehicles. Um, but two years later, um, another young man, Michael Eugene Wilson, a black man was killed um, in, in our city as well. Oh and God. another really sad part about that is the, you know, the officers were never charged and his best friend who was with him in the car when he was shot uh, was actually charged for his murder because they were allegedly um, taking things from cars and fleeing when this happened. So despite, you know, sitting in the car next to his best friend who was shot, his best friend is the one who sat in jail. Um, and I think currently oh is God. and is getting out soon. So wow. yeah, so terrible things go on. And so we had this, there was this protest that the members of the community organized a couple weeks ago. I went to it, you know, we kneeled for eight minutes and 46 seconds in honor of George Floyd. Uh, we talked about having our own George Floyds and Breonna Taylors in our neighborhood. And we talked about Howard Bow, Michael Eugene Wilson, uh, Jimmy Lee Stans from the 1980s, uh, one that people still remember too. And so some people didn't like that the chief kneeled with protesters. She and a few of her other officers who did it, you know, totally upon their own volition, you know, 
they, they weren't told or pressured to do this. Um, and so they felt, some of the SWAT team members felt, you know, upset that they thought the chief was kneeling solidarity of, you know, people upset about Howard Bow or people who are saying reopen the case. I don't know. It was just, it was very political. We're in the middle of um, contract negotiations with our police union mm. that have been ongoing for two years. Okay. And one of the, the guys who led this like letter of resignation and was on the SWAT team when this happened um, is the police union president. And he was part of the Howard Bow uh, SWAT raid as well. Mm. And so I really think it's about that. Um, just knowing this individual um, wanting to make, you know, have, have like a stunt move, um, try to get like public opinion to sway in their support to get uh, pressure on the elected officials during election time and contract negotiations. Um, so I didn't think it was about the things they claimed in their letter, like we don't have enough training or this or that. The chief told us that hundreds of thousands have been spent in SWAT training over the wow. last few years. Um, yeah. And they, they get paid special pay. Um, they get over, there has to be spent on overtime when these folks go out to train every month, um, to fill their positions. There's a lot of costs that go into it. And in the last couple of years, they've only been, um, deployed a couple of times to serve out warrants. Um, wow. and we have, you know, we have contracts with BSO and Hollywood where they can provide those services if ever necessary. It's not like, you know, there's an emergency situation and they're the first to respond and, and you know, barge in there. They are the ones who go in as a very last measure when everything else has been exhausted and they have to take the time to go back to the station, put on all their gear and head over there. It's not like, you know, oh, we need you in seconds to save, you know, this disaster going on. It's nothing like that. So yeah. I think people were getting scared, like, oh, we're not safe anymore. But honestly, we probably are safer because there's no SWAT team. Wow. It's incredible. It is. So oh. did you, how did you react to all of that? Now you're pushed into the spotlight. I mean, it was everywhere, the story, this, mm -hmm. that they're afraid or they, they, you know, this 22 year old young woman yes. who's like <laughs> scaring an entire SWAT team. At least that's the, you know, the clickbait kind of story that was out there. But the fact of the matter is they didn't like any of that kind of situation. And mm -hmm. I know the police, um, around the country are very defensive. Um, it would be nice if there was a, a civil conversation that could happen or something, but the reactions are so bizarre to me, you know? And mm -hmm. I don't know if it's this need to like keep pointing fingers in other directions or what, or not acknowledging that mistakes are made, you know? Mm -hmm. And the fact, I think like one of those, I, I had a meeting with our chief and state manager and they asked me like, you know, how can we build trust with the, with the community? How can we do better? And I said, People need to see accountability. They've never seen accountability in our city right. for, you know, an officer doing something wrong yeah. um, or, or a shooting or an in-custody death. And I just get residents, you know, Latino, older, black, white, who call me and tell me their experiences that they've had, you know, getting slammed on a sidewalk, um, being falsely arrested and getting their, their you know, record expunged, um, you know, harassing customers in their store it's, oh it's just endless stories and yeah. these folks don't get any justice they don't see any accountability if if they're lucky enough they file a report you know a complaint with the department it gets followed up on uh, with an internal affairs investigation um which usually just if anything is like a slap on the wrist um a written warning a verbal warning you know and then it continues um, and that's what happened. The same officer who shot and killed Howard Bow 
uh, just a couple of weeks ago, when all this started going viral, uh, a lawyer in Miami Day reached out to me and told me about his client who had been discriminated against by the same exact officer last year, um, a black um, pilot who was moving out of, or who was um, in the process of moving out of his apartment, um, who's, a, you know, an officer with a federal agency. Um, they wrote down that he was, you know, impersonating a federal officer, which he really was one. Oh. And they, you know, caused this went into a police report. And then all this time later, this happened last year, and he's going through legal, you know, hurdles to get this police report that's completely false, you know, scrubbed or, you know, something to get My it taken God. off of his record. So it continues. And when when this went viral, you know, I was shocked. I was like, are you mm. kidding me? And because I know the only time I saw this happen was in Buffalo with the officer who fired, who resigned from their team after, you know, the one who pushed the old man on the ground was yes. disciplined. Um, and so I, I was like, really, this is, this is who you want to like, you know, follow the example of. Um, mm. But I know like, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't good for our city to get like all this attention, but at the same time it was, you know, they, some of my colleagues and the city manager probably thought like, Oh, this is negative attention. This isn't good. But I thought it was really shining a light on some of, um, you know, the things that we want to, you know, our skeletons in our closet that unless we talk about them, we'll never heal from them. There's always going to be that tension and that hurt. Um, and I think it really backfired on them. You know, they probably thought this was going to go a totally different way. But then everyone started asking, Wait, why does this small city have a SWAT team? Yeah. And then I started learning about how cities even began to get SWAT teams. I read this book by um, Bradley Falco, who has been writing on policing for a long time for the Washington Post, um, called Rise of the Warrior Cop, and how police departments in this country became militarized, because it really was like the big cities at first who had these SWAT teams. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, everyone... Yeah, Hollandale, it, it, it doesn't really make sense for Hollandale to have a SWAT team. When you think about yeah, and, it, yeah. And the military just gives um, police departments their surplus um, weaponry or vehicles or, you know, gear or um, grenades, different things that, why do these local departments need? Um, so, and it, so it was a very long story, I'm sorry. But um, I, it was, it was totally crazy. You know, I was getting actually a lot of support from folks who said, you know, I agree with you. We need to spend those resources in our community. Instead, those hundreds of thousands of dollars going into this team that doesn't get used, um, that could be going towards childcare. Mm -hmm. That could be going towards, you know, utility, rental, mortgage assistance, like the things the community directly needs now um, versus this. Yes. Yes. And also um, it shines a light. Like what you're saying is that is if a smaller city like Hallandale is having the same problems as Minneapolis and Atlanta and, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. it's showing you that this exists everywhere. It's a problem everywhere. And um, and I know I don't you don't have to get into it, but I know the I can't imagine the emails or messages that you as a person as an individual receive from the other side and the people who are like super supportive of police in a way that's beyond normal um and the the hate mail or whatever that you must receive so i i can't even imagine how you even deal with that oh yeah um (laughs) i i mean i've been getting it for a while when we had the whole like islamophobia thing in the city and i voted to condemn that or the dixie highway 
um, you know, conversation that we had. But this time was definitely more. And there were more kind of like hateful, like threatening messages. Mm -hmm. There was some of them. But like, sometimes I, I learned to like stop taking them so personally and just kind of like laugh it off. Like one person was like, Oh, I'm gonna pee on your grave or whatever. That was oh my like God. kind of play. <laughs> yeah. Um, my goodness. The, the police, the, the police. So they have this online forum that's anonymous, and there's like different like threads. It's kind of like Reddit. Um, and they have like threads for like all the different cities and departments. And so sometimes I read the Hollandale one. This website's called Leo Affairs, and they just you know air all their grievances there while they're sitting in their you know car on a break or whatnot. Um, and so they're like, oh, I, you know, this girl better not ever call us if her house gets broken into Ooh. or yeah, another one that was nice. Um, I hope she gets shot with a rubber bullet in the oh head when God. she goes to the next protest. I mean, and seeing what happened to Latoya in Fort Lauderdale, yes. like, come on, do you guys have no sensitivity? It's, um, it's but yeah, you know, they wouldn't say they wouldn't attach their name to this, of course, but, um, right. mm. unfortunately, well, and those are the folks who patrol. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. You've, you've done so much work. Um, like you said, you brought up the Dixie highway and recently Pelosi challenged Senate leaders about the removal of Confederate statues in the Capitol. And they've pushed on changing military bases, ships, you know, things like that. And you've had experience with this in Hollandale. So how did that come about? And how would you recommend folks in other cities work with their commissioners for similar steps forward? Since it, it feels like there's all this stalling on the federal level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. B bills and legislation takes years to get passed, like at the federal level, which if it gets passed, you know, it'll affect everyone. Great. But we don't have time to wait. Like we need our local governments to be stepping up our cities, counties. Unfortunately, you know, our current state legislature in Florida is not going to do much, but um, we definitely have, you know, jurisdiction over some things in our cities and counties that we can do. And um, I, you know, I thought about Dixie Highway when I read a Miami Herald article last November. Wow, it seems like it was so much long ago now, but <laughs> it was really not that, really not that long. It wasn't even a year ago. Um, but I read an article where a Miami-Dade County Commissioner, um, Dennis Moss, was proposing to change the name in a Miami-Dade because, um, you know, he had a constituent reach out to him whose daughter asked, what what does Dixie mean? And, you know, he explained about the Confederacy and the Civil War and, you know, how this is like a term of endearment for, for that time. And he's like, why, why is this still a name down here? Yeah. Why, why are we still honoring this? Um, you know, it could be named anything. We have so many streets that have multiple names. Like US-1 goes by um, Biscayne Boulevard, Federal Highway. Yeah. You know, it, why should it be so hard for, a, you know, a street to be renamed to something else? And I know like some people were complaining about the cost, but these street signs have to get replaced automatically anyway after a certain period of time um, for maintenance. So it wouldn't even be a cost to the county or to the cities. And so I thought he was doing that in Dade. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pass a resolution um, urging the Broward County Commission to do the same because the county has most jurisdiction over um, these uh, areas. Right. And so I did it. And then, um, I think a local Sun Sentinel reporter, Susanna Bryan, picked up on it and they, they love things that are, you know, controversial. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so then she starts asking the county commissioners what they think. And there's only two, um, black county commissioners out of nine of them. And so, you know, some of them were like, you know, I never really thought about it. I never, you know, really thought to think about what Dixie means or why we're honoring it. And right. it really reminded me of in Hollywood a couple of years ago, the whole talk about changing the street names. Yeah. So it was um, for, I think it was Forrest Lee and Hood after yes. KKK and, and Confederate leaders. 
and community activists pushed like hell for that and like literally like hate hate groups came out to city hall like police oh, were yes. out there like it was a this. nasty class um and my family lived in hollywood for since the 70s so i was really invested in that but um so the, the broward county commission took it up and i think they came to a consensus where they agreed you know we're, we're down we're, we're gonna we're gonna change this but then what they got bogged on is like um what are we going to change it to and then that's where like the whole thing came it's like oh what about harriet tubman where what about um you know freedom or barack obama that's where they like just can't agree on um Lord. but miami Tate did their they did their so quickly they passed it and changed it within a few weeks um it was so quick it was like one meeting and the next and then they they finalized it broward of course like are taking uh, ages and then you know it started it started getting crack attraction and then coronavirus happened and now i'm like oh god they're gonna forget about it yeah. <laughs> but um, so it would change the name of dixie highway in the section that's in broward that's what it, that's what we're talking about right it would change yeah, that yeah. okay yeah i mean come on mm -hmm, what's the deal yeah. do you know what miami day changed the name to they changed it to harriet tubman highway oh so why can't yeah, we which, just which do the same yeah, I mean, yes. why don't we just do the same thing I, you know, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> and I know some folks wanted to see like a more Broward or Florida specific name. Mm, I, you know, right. some people were proposing to me, um, George Allen, who was one of the first black lawyers in Florida. And he led the, um, the Florida Supreme Court case that led to the desegregation of our schools. So oh, that, I so thought that, that would was be like, awesome you know, the, too. Mm -hmm. so I, and he just died last year. So it'd be the perfect time to honor oh. him and. You know, I, that was something that I thought of, but you know, people are never going to agree on like what yes. the, what the name's going to be. They so just I'm, I'm just kind of worried about that. And, and be done. Yep. But hopefully, hopefully we can, you know, get back on that track sometime soon. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Sabrina, you have accomplished so much at such a young age. It's, it's so incredible. Where do you see yourself five years from now? Do you have higher political aspirations? I mean, I feel like Hillary and I would jump on the campaign trail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would join either of you on any campaign trail oh. when you guys run. Like Hillary for Pompano City Commission oh or, you know, maybe we can vote out Chip LaMarca. Ooh, like please. <laughs> oh, my heart just please. jumped. My heart just jumped. God, I can't take it. But, um, well, hopefully in the fall, I'll be graduating with my bachelor's um, oh. and then finally, finally be done with undergrad. Um, I mean, I would really like to go to law school, but of course I would have to figure out how I'm going to work and, um, you know, go to school at the same time. Um, honestly, what my dream job is, and I don't know if this exists or like an organization can create it so I can do this work. But I want to um, really focus on municipal, like city, county ordinances. Um, and the criminal justice system, because people say, you know, cities and counties don't really have anything to do with it. It's like the courts and the feds and the state. But cities and counties often pass ordinances that criminalize things that don't need to be or they can make crimes harsher than they need to be, like going from a misdemeanor to a felony. Mm. And I want to repeal a lot of these ordinances that unnecessarily lock people up. And oftentimes, you know, it's like homeless folks or people trying to feed homeless folks right. or, you know, like I know like uh, people are trying to always come like homeless people for like loitering or you know different things um but not just them but like you know cities and counties can pass civil citations um for marijuana for trespassing for graffiti um for petty theft for minor crimes um that people really don't be don't need to enter this like prison pipeline for and you know really disrupt the rest of their entire lives 
Um, so that's kind of my dream. Like I want to analyze and lobby and, you know, write legislation for cities and counties, like whether it's in Broward or the whole state of Florida, like that would be my dream job. Um, so I'm working on that. (laughs) That is such a great aspiration. (laughs) And, and regarding higher office, I don't know, like people always get into, um, office and they're thinking about the next one and I'm not really doing that I'm just you know trying to do a good job where what I'm doing right now and passing all these policies and legislation and I write all the ordinances and, and things you guys see me post about like I write those in, entirely myself um, yeah. and then I just get my city attorney to review it for legal sufficiency and then I get it put on an agenda to be voted on and it's very time consuming but that's the way yes. I know it'll it'll turn out the way that I want it to and have like the right intent and purposes and implementation. Um, so that's, that's my dream. And I would really love to do that one day. Like I really don't know if that's a job, but maybe, you know, there's I, a I feel justice. like you're going to make this happen. I hope so. <laughs> I, I really just like started thinking about it a lot more lately. Well, my God, I feel utterly useless on this phone call. <laughs> no. I feel like a complete degenerate. I haven't done no. shit with my life. Oh, please. No. <laughs> Not true. I'm telling you. I am so impressed I by know. you. And I, it's so bizarre because we it's were on so a call hopeful. the other night and someone called you an old soul. And I was like, she is an old soul. But it's like um, you take um, it's you, you have so much thought put into the work that yes. you're doing. Like you're not taking I mean, any of this time for granted, like reading through ordinances or reading I mean, a book yeah, about policing. I mean, there's, you can literally go from commission to commission in Broward County. And these, what are these people doing? She's yeah. actually like really Working. doing the work. It's yeah. not even playing around. And I think it should be Sabrina Javiana highway. Like that's what the, we should oh. rename this, this no. Dixie. I'm telling you, that's what we should yes. do. I can't take it. It's amazing. I think that you're incredible and yeah, yeah that's and, what and, you're going to do. It's such an inspiration to other young yes. people. And I, I really just hope that other young people are inspired by you to want to run for office and do things that, because a lot of times it's a lot of these people at sort of the end of their careers getting right. involved. Right. In, in these yep. seats and it's you know we need the the fresh young progressive ideas right and you've just been doing such an incredible job and you're such an inspiration oh you guys are inspirations to me with all the advocacy and outreach and all the work that you guys do like literally like hillary organizing all these people to come to tallahassee to talk about yes. like parental consent with women's march unfortunately you know that did not go well but Mm -hmm. you know we showed up and we were there and we made sure that they saw that um and we're gonna vote them all out of course girl please (laughs) we're doing it i can't take it please please. you guys are everything to me like i am i and like i need people like you guys because sometimes it feels so lonely in this work yeah um so having allies and friends and people that i can like commiserate and cry with and celebrate with i appreciate you guys so much well, yeah. you know, I, we're incredibly proud of you. Please yes. do not stop working. I know I, when you say lonely, I can only imagine what it feels like to open an email or see a message yeah. from some jerk off who's like saying something horrible. Like I can't imagine how incredibly lonely that would feel, but you have a huge community behind you yes. and, uh, you, 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 you're inspiration. So we're, I'm so proud that you're in Broward County. It makes me so proud. Yes. And thank you so, so much for coming on the show today. Yay. Of course. I appreciate you guys. I hope to see you soon when it's safe because I'm going to talk to you guys. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great one. Bye. 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 Bye.
If you want to learn more about this week's guest, please follow the episode notes on our blog at themuckpodcast.fireside.fm and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.